The philosopher Roger Scruton said, beauty is vanishing from our world because we live as though it did not matter. And up next, we'll be talking with a Catholic artist who is bringing beauty back, bringing beauty back to the church. Stay tuned. everyone thanks for joining us on another episode of the catholic gentleman we are your hosts sam guzman and john heinen we really appreciate you joining us on another episode we are excited to talk about beauty we're excited to talk about art with a professional expert robert uh but before we get there if this is your first time listening to us please click that subscribe button so that you can get each of these episodes as they come out sam and i are actively working on a membership program we are really excited about that we want to thank all of our patrons and our donors for making that possible if you are interested in discerning a place to donate we understand times are tough so not asking for a ton of money but if you head over to patreon.com catholic gentlemen and uh, get whatever give whatever you're capable of giving we would be incredibly appreciative and uh it keeps this ministry going and expanding so thank you for that. Today, we're joined by Robert Pushouts, who I got to meet at a kind of water to wine, you know, event where my wife and I uh, did a watercolor painting. I will tell you that I came to it with a childish understanding of watercolors. I started using my fingers and stuff, but I decided not to. And Robert did such an incredible job. But I would say even uh, directing into the heart of beauty and the heart of what he does. And then his own artistry was just so beautiful and so gorgeous. And so I just immediately thought, we got to have this guy on the episode. Sam and I have talked a lot about trying to find a Catholic artist of his skill and his abilities to uh, to join us. And so we are just so blessed to have uh, Robert here today. And I'm going to put a bunch of stuff in the show notes, and he's going to talk about himself later in the episode. But Robert, how are you doing today? Doing great. So glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And and so I just want to start out with I kind of liked what you know Sam was alluding at in in show prep is that you know we are just one of the primary battles of aesthetics or beauty today is this idea overarching idea of subjectivity and relativism that you know what's beautiful to me or what I find as beauty doesn't matter what you find as beauty as if there's no objectivity to it that it's all just like a preference or a taste and so um but we can argue about taste all day long and it can be ultimately meaningless but when we're talking about beauty there's something that that really is um objective at least from my ignorant understanding uh to it and so i guess my first question for you is something that i thought we would start out with with a bang and uh, ask you one of those questions that I myself couldn't give an easy answer to if somebody asked me, and that mm-hmm. is, what is beauty? And how would you what? define beauty? Yeah, I think uh, that's a great question. And um, we often hear that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And of course, there is a truth to that, or that's part, part of the answer. So um, Thomas Aquinas talks about beauty as being that which is seen or that which gives pleasure when seen. So that's a very kind of uh, oversimplistic kind of definition. It needs to be teased out a bit. And but what he's talking about is that um, basically 
when truth or goodness is perceived directly into our sense experience, that's when we experience beauty. Mm. And there's objective component to it and a subjective one. So there's these objective qualities to beauty like unity or integrity or wholeness. So something has to be one. Um, then there's another aspect of it that uh, Aquinas talks about, which is proportionality or harmony or consonance. Mm. So we imagine that the human body has all these components that have uh, that are in proportion to one another. So we have, you know, if you have uh, five fingers on one side, we have five on the other. There's this harmony between yeah. uh, balance between the different parts. And then when these things are in in accord with one another, there's a clarity or a radiance that rad that radiates forth from the form itself. And this is where the subjective component comes in because when we experience that radiance, that's when um, that's something that is personal to us. So we have the the objective part, which is the unity, this proportionality, and then the subjective component is that is us receiving that into our senses mm. no i think that's great yeah that's that's really incredible uh, we were my wife and i were just recently at uh an art museum which um you know a lot of times is a mixed bag these days um yeah. and of course there was the modern art section where there was just uh clashing colors you know kind of random shapes um nothing really fit together it was uh kind of the opposite of what you're describing it, it wasn't yeah. proportionate it wasn't harmonious it wasn't balanced it it was uh chaotic um and the way you know the modern art uh is approached is often is as like gonna an, an intellectual exercise exclusively where it's like if you have a a uh complicated enough intellectual justification for what you're doing you mm. can get away for, with almost anything you know yeah. like uh, putting a hammer on a table is like some philosophical statement or something or you know and, and so uh, but you're what you're describing is like uh an intuitive response yes. like you know a, a child can go up and look at it like a picasso or a rembrandt and immediately tell without any art education whatsoever which is more beautiful um and in fact i remember our kids saying something like that's really ugly <laughs> when they saw the modern art like they had no art training whatsoever uh, and so i guess what i'm wondering is like what in us is responding to this objective beauty like what is what is um uh kind of saying yes when we see that 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 beauty that proportionality that harmony all of these things like what what are what are we responding to i suppose that, yeah that well i think it's a per, it's a in, intuitive perception of this unity and and harmony which is basically what we can understand as order okay so when we look up at the stars for instance and we see um there's there's a and and we see we experience this overarching awe um part of that is being feel, the feeling of sublime, sublimity, like we're we're small in fr in front of this amazing universe, but also there's a there's an understanding of 
order there as well, that we are part of this cosmos that is uh, so intricately put together by an intelligent being, you know, that God created the, the world in all these harmonies. And when we perceive those, that order, um, that's when we, and we intuitively have that response. Um, but it also has to hit us in kind of a new way when we get too redundant. Um, you know, everyone gets, uh, you know, we, we, we have to strive towards, um, towards, uh, not, uh, getting, uh, not getting bogged down by, by repetition. Um, so I think that there's an aspect there. Um, and then there's another aspect of, uh, we, we, we need to, uh, strive to, to, uh, how do I say? Um, yeah, we can't allow beauty to become rope, I would say. And so on that line of, of thought, what do you do in your own personal studio as a creator to, I guess, nurture that within yourself and keep that um, opportunity alive and keep that that truth alive within you? Because it is very much this balance between, you know, what is good is also beautiful, right? If we believe that there, it's a unified transcendental in God and what is yeah. truthful is also beautiful. But I guess mm -hmm. to that aspect, how how do you fall uh, keep from falling into it being rote or being, you know, repetitive and 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 maybe contrived, if you will? Right. Yeah, I think um, one, one way is I'm always looking towards nature. You know, I always look towards nature to to draw in new inspiration. So um, the it, art in particular, it, um, the way Aristotle talks about art is that it, it, it art imitates nature. It's mimesis. OK, now mm. that doesn't necessarily wrote copying of nature. It means that whatever the artist is creating has to be within. Uh, it has to be believable. You know, it has to suspend your disbelief um, yeah. within the world. That so I'm always looking towards nature. And um, but I'm also uh, I also look towards the great master. So I'm always looking up. How has someone done this subject in the past? How can I incorporate that into my, you know, in my own uh, interpretation of things? And then how can I reshape that and modify it? to something that's personal to me and, and um, hopefully affects people today. So I'm always looking to the old masters and then also, also just trying to do something that, um, that I've never seen before, you know, that has my own personal take on it. I love that idea about um, art imitating nature. Uh, one of my favorite architects, Frank Lloyd Wright was always talking about that, but, but the interesting thing about nature, is it's it's like this perfect tension between order and chaos or like like it's not perfectly symmetrical if you look at a tree it's not perfectly symmetrical there's a, there's variety there and there's there's a little bit of chaos but it's obviously being held in tension with like a beautiful form yeah. that you know you can find mathematical patterns all over nature so i'm wondering for you like you know, when did you start waking up to some of these things? Like, when did you start realizing some of this and felt like, I guess, a call to be like, I want to be 
a creator of beauty, not just a, you know, not just someone receiving it, mm-hmm. but someone who's actually uh, producing it and, mm. and bringing more beauty into the world. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Chicago originally and um, in a neighborhood where within probably a three mile radius, there was uh four or five churches that were just absolutely gorgeous created by, you know, immigrants from the 19th century, early 20th century. So these churches are about a hundred years old, you know, beautiful statues, stained glass window um, paintings that uh, are just, you know, drawn from the old masters and then reproduced there in the church. So basically the art, the, my first exposure to art was going to mass and going to church, and I just look around, and and uh, and it re- it was really there where I I started to get this inkling of what how important art was, and the 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 importance of um, how it submerges you into salvation history. Mm. Um, I remember one one of the things I talk about is this. Uh, there's a stained glass window that I used that I used to see all the time in 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 this church, and it was Noah's Ark. And even as a little kid, I'd be like, why did, why did God allow for the flood, you know, to have all these people killed and, um, and, and you're just confronted with that, but in, not in a didactic or, um, in a, in a teaching way, but just immersed in the earth. And on the opposite side of that window, um, facing it was, a sign of the new covenant, Christ ascending into heaven and the, and the, um, and the last supper, um, right there. So it's, it's drawing a connection from the old Testament to the new Testament, um, and how, how our salvation is achieved through, um, through Jesus Christ. So, um, that's basically how I started getting the inkling for like, okay, art is, I mean, this stuff is really kind of important. And what I started to see was that um, I'd go out to the suburbs of Chicago and just see these like completely modernist churches with no art there. They don't look like churches. You can't find the tabernacle. The stained glass is ugly, geometric. You know, there's no figurative elements to it other than maybe a crucifix, which is very, which may or may not be, you know, disfigured. And basically I got to the point in college where, um, I started looking around. I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know if I could do this, but I certainly feel like I can do a better job than what's out there now. And so like, that was basically it, like a process of elimination. Like I'm, I may not be as good as Rembrandt or some of these masters, but I certainly feel like I can do a little bit better than what's being done right now. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really what a journey that's so exciting. And it, it parallels a lot, I think of, of most artists, right. And most musicians. And, and, uh, when I was uh, first discerning to becoming a professional trumpet player, I, I found myself, um, learning from the masters as you kind of, um, alluded to and, and said earlier, and I started discerning, um, you know, well, it's so powerful and so impactful. I want to be a part of that. I want to, you know, produce and not just consume that. And and so 
I think to that point, you already mentioned it with um, stained glass windows that were a teaching tool for you and and in your Mm -hmm. childhood. And we see that so much of that has been removed or stripped from our modern churches today. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that, about what can beauty within the church do for the salvation of souls for the faithful and once it's been you know stripped away how are we how is it adding to i guess losing catholics which i believe it is and so i just you know full disclosure i think that's why bad choirs cause people to leave and not want to come back to that church because it's all a sign of of god's um, truth, goodness, and beauty. And if it is an amateur that's there, you know it, and it and it speaks to you in a way that we don't want <laughs> to, to speak to people. So I'd love to hear what you're doing and what what your thoughts are on on the importance of beauty within the church. Yeah, uh, well, I think it's it's so important, and the um, and oftentimes it's the neglected transcendental. There's a great mm-hmm. quote I found. Hans Irvon Balthazar, he says, um, our situation today shows that beauty demands for itself at least as much courage and decision as do truth and goodness. And she will not allow herself to be separated and banned from her two sisters without taking them along with herself in an act of mysterious vengeance. Ooh, we can be good. Who hears at her name as if she were the ornament of a bourgeois past whether he admits it or not, can no longer pray and soon will no longer be able to love. Wow. So what um, I think he's saying there is that um, that truth, goodness, and beauty have to go along with one another. Otherwise, it, it's like a tripod. You know, one of the legs goes, the, you know, the, the, the tripod is going to fall. Mm-hmm. And... Um, what we're seeing today is this vengeance of, of beauty or a lack of it there, <laughs> I would say. Um, and it, it's not, yeah, of course, there are beautiful churches in Europe being completely abandoned, turned into concert halls, yeah. um, being used as event places. So it's not the only thing that's going to keep people there. Those places are lacking the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see that one of these without the other can't survive, but, um, but it is so important, especially here. Um, I think in the United States where, um, we have, uh, we have so many, um, churches and just kind of, you know, just almost like, that that they're they're places that are meeting places you know considered like almost in a in a practical manner or Mm -hmm. rather than the house of god the throne of god where god meets man like you can't you can't possibly consider any more uh important place here existing on earth and um and uh we just uh we just think, oh, you know what? As, as long as it's functional, um, it'll be fine. 
And yeah, I, th- I to that point, um, I think that um, there's a great, uh, it does a great disservice to the liturgy as well um, when we don't have architecture or even the fine arts, especially music as well, that orients one towards the reality that is present in the liturgy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, the utilitarianism that kind of defines the modern age, it's like, you know, you think of like the the Bauhaus movement in the 60s and things like that, where it's like function was everything and all ornamentation was completely stripped away and removed. And what's ironic about that is that's kind of what animals do. Like, I mean, an ape can crack a nut with a rock. Like, that's <laughs> that's very utilitarian. But right. it's only human beings decorate their tools, you know, and, um, you know, ornament them because there's, some, there's something else there that's being perceived. And so I guess what I'm wondering is, like, we've kind of degenerated from all ornamentation into like strict utilitarianism. But now you're like, you're part of a movement to bring beauty and ornament back. But it's part of this great tradition of artists. Like what are you doing to kind of not just copycat previous artists, because I know you're not doing that, Mm -hmm. but like you're, you're trying to inject, you know, your own, uh, originality and like creativity and like and, and, and in a sense a kind of newness while being rooted in tradition and so how are you doing that like how are you when you undertake a new uh, project uh, a new commission like how do you balance that tension between old and new um, and, and 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 not not swing too far one way or the other yeah um, well I would say that I uh, I try to, well, I try to immerse myself in the masters. So I'm always researching. Um, and that kind of connects me with the tradition. And I also have a, my background is in classical painting. So I I went through a very rigorous process of honing my craft. And I would say that that immersed me into this tradition that started from, you know, about the Renaissance all the way up through the 19th century. So wh- what I was doing there was I was drawing from the figure at the school every day and I was doing master copies. I was ca- drawing from casts. And so, um, which are, you know, plastic or plaster models of great sculptures. And we would draw these out. <clears throat> so I did that. Um, I was basically drawing for like two years straight. I didn't even touch a paintbrush immersing myself in art history and um, this whole great tradition. And then, um, and then I started painting. Um, So that kind of rooted me in this uh, tradition. Um, And what I see my role as today is just, I'm a contemporary person. I grew up on, you know, like uh, indie rock and, you know, like, and, uh, you know, just, you know, all sorts of contemporary stuff, you know, the contemporary issues that we have today. Um, So I don't, I don't necessarily see myself as having to do anything new other than just be, uh, you know, just think the way I'm thinking, which is 
like I'm a contemporary guy, you know, like mm. I'm going to come up with ideas that are different from those in the past, just because I have a different perspective on things um, just because of our time period, you know? Yeah. But it doesn't make it any less valid. And I think that's, that's really important because you're still standing on the shoulders of ma- of your masters or of the masters, right. right? You're still, you talked about going to uh, be classically trained and, and to make sure that you really understood that. And I, I promise I'm going to put it in the show notes. Everyone needs to, to check out some of your paintings and you can see over your shoulder there, uh, one of them. I want you to talk because of that, because of what you were saying about spending two years just sketching. I remember me as a trumpet player and I um, won't ever forget this. I was, was uh, on a full ride at my undergrad, and it was my junior year at um, my undergrad degree, and I was playing for one of the best trumpet teachers in the world, and she, uh, I played this incredibly difficult trumpet solo, and I finished it, and I nailed it, and it was perfect, and it was like mic drop moment. And she looked at me and she was like, wow, that was perfect. And I was like, yes, it was, you know, and that pride was on me. But I was disassociated from the aesthetics. I was disassociated from the beauty. And she said, did you enjoy anything that you just played? And I was like, what? And and I, I mean, I was seeing myself as it was this math problem. I was still this pursuit of perfection without this sort of overarching beauty. Did, when when did that hit you? When When did you expand beyond just sketching for two years straight to like really being able to create these gorgeous masterpieces that you're doing. Did you have moments like that along your journey? I'd love to hear about those. Well, it's, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because the, the, there's, there's such a a need for, I'm going to answer that indirectly because I want to start with craftsmanship because I see two major problems with um, with Catholic art uh, today. One is that we don't have good craftsmanship. And this is simply the language of visual art. Um, you are a musician. You had to learn the scales. I bet you had to play those scales a lot. Oh, and a lot all of a all of a sudden, and apparently just for the visual arts, we're like, you know what? We don't need to do that stuff anymore. You don't need to draw things from nature. You don't need to do value scales. You don't need to learn about color. You just need to express yourself. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, that's fine if you want to create a punk rock band, but it's not going to get you Beethoven, you know? Yeah. And in in that respect, that's um, something that I see severely lacking in several of very, very well-intentioned Catholic artists today. They want, they have such a love for, for, for God and even a deep knowledge of theology and art. And yet they just haven't had the training to do, to learn some of the rudimentary things about the craftsmanship. Um, the second issue um, that I see is a, um, a lack of depth in the um, in uh, w- once you've mastered you know a craft, we you can rely too much on old forms or just the mm-hmm. exercises. And so it's like so you get you have this tendency to be like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna do exactly what they did in the past. I'm just gonna I, or if you've studied at a 
you know, a school of realism, you may look at something and just be like, I'm going to paint that exactly what I see, you know? Well, I mean, sorry, but sacred art and religious art is not meant to be totally uh, just an imitation of nature. It needs ideals grafted onto that. And you need to idealize both the figure and um, the space in order to elevate it beyond just the natural world. So, um, so there's this, you know, uh, I think for myself, like, um, to get back to your question, I think, um, for myself, there's always been this tension of trying to continue to master the craft, um, and also draw from the old masters. And then, um, but I'm always trying to push myself a little bit further in terms of, uh, well, what's something that I, I haven't, um, and I don't ask this, my, this question, like, because I, I don't I don't think a novelty is important um, in the sense that um, I'm not looking to shock people. I'm not looking. I'm just going to create something new. No, that's not my yeah. goal. Well, my goal is to be authentic to myself and uh, ultimately to my ideals and and to and to God. I'm going to let God try to inform my uh, my inspirations. And um, that's going to create something new. But I'm, I, there is that tension of drawing in from the tradition and then really doing my due diligence to, to actually be creative. You know, it's hard work being creative. Yeah. It takes a lot of work. It takes you have to be you have to you have to put time into actually thinking about something. Oh, no. You have to read stuff. You have to. You have to do the studies, you know, like a, a bunch of different, uh, you know, like studies of the figure and different positions. You got to you got to do all this stuff. And, you know, if you don't do that stuff, then ultimately it's going to end up being a, 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 a painting or a piece that's just derivative. Yeah. Wow. No, I really just agree with everything you stated and I appreciate you sharing it in such a manner. And I appreciate you going back to the importance of technique um, as a lasting, you know, kind of imprint in this uh, for, for any artists that are listening, you know, to this episode. So mm -hmm. anyways, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you're saying about like this harmonious interplay between like objectivity and subjectivity. It's like, if it's strictly objectivity, you're a machine. <laughs> if you're all subjectivity, you're not rooted in reality anymore. Yeah. And it's like they have to be uh, united at some level uh, or mm -hmm. things break down. Um, but that kind of leads me to the next question I have, which is just, let's say you're on the receiving end. You know, people have kind of lost their taste or their ability to some extent just because of the kind of brutal cold sterile world we live in uh surrounded by you know concrete boxes or it's like we don't it's harder for us to recognize beauty it's not as instinctive as it might have been at one point when the world was kind of immersed and everything was was beautiful at some level and right. and now we're like how do we develop that that taste for beauty like on the receiving end of beautiful art like how can we learn to contemplate beauty and allow beauty to kind of take us out of this ordinary mode of existence that we live most of our lives in and take us into kind of a um a different level of of seeing and perceiving like what are some ways we can train ourselves in that regard 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good question because it it draws our focus back to you know the you know our experience today, and what I where where I think this is actually um, where the battlefront is um, in our culture is actually um, you know we have truth you know we have tons of people talking about the truth we have tons of people talking you know tons of charities to give to all that there's tons of good things happening but where is the battle for where is the battle of the culture being fought it's being fought in the imagination mm-hmm. and the reason why i say that is because we live in such an artificial world um where you can be on your uh smartphone all your friends are virtual you can be uh completely immersed in social media the the majority of people are spending a ridiculous amount of time on media um not saying this you know this podcast is a bad thing to be doing (laughs) But, but what i think is going on there is that we don't even we can't even recognize reality from virtual reality artificial from real yeah. So we need to first start to make distinctions between um, reality and unreality, something that's constructed. Um, so I I think the best place for people to start is is just go back to nature, like take walks, yeah. <laughs> you know, go go to a state park, go to um, you know a, a a a national park. Try to find time in your day to 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 go for a walk outside, um, uh, do thing, do activities outside, um, hunting, you know, uh, running, camping, you know, I, I, it's an important part of my day to, to like go for a run, you know, uh, fairly often throughout the week. And part of that is the exercise. The other part is just like, I'm like looking, I'm not like stuck in my studio all day. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not just like, stuck on the computer all day um so i think that's that's a a a good place to start um the other thing um that i think we need to 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 cultivate is we need to start cultivating our taste because although beauty is um although beauty is intuitive that doesn't necessarily mean it's instinctive it's Mm -hmm. something that's taught so there's a there's a teaching element there too, that if you're bombarding yourself with ugly things, eventually you're going to have a distaste for beautiful things. It's just like if you, if you're feeding yourself lies all the time, you know, or if you go to a, you know, a college that indoctrinates you into some sort of, you know, ideology, um, pretty soon that person is just not going to be able to be receptive to the truth. And it's the same thing with beauty. So, are the shows we're watching, are they beautiful? Um, and I don't mean like that everything has to be, you know, aesthetically perfect. What I'm talking about is making an effort to use your leisure time mm-hmm. to do something a little bit challenging, which is, um, which is, you know, find a piece of art, um, f- read, a, read a good book. Instead of, you know, just the latest, you know, trashy novel, you know, avoid um, things that are going to scar your imagination, Um, you know, like pornography or or just like mindless entertainment. 
Um, all these things uh, crowd, they, they, they literally create pathways into our mind. I mean, like, I can't tell you about how many times, like something I saw when I was like, you know, seven years old still pops up into my head. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want that. To, you know, but that's what we're doing is, is we're creating these pathways of uh, where all we can, all we can think of is things that are just either don't need to be there or they're ugly. And we need to start replacing that with beautiful things, um, beautiful objects, looking at art, which should elevate the mind, listening to good music, li listening to, you know, or reading challenging literature. Um, I think uh, even like, especially certain movies that are just so uplifting or, or um, rather than just the purely entertaining ones. Um, these are ways that I think once we start actually fighting, you know, this culture of ugliness within ourselves, um, we're going to be disposed to um, greater beauty. It is like a muscle. You know, you have to exercise it. Um, and it, I don't always do a good job of that. You know, like sometimes when it's the choice between watching, a, you know, a, a ridiculous Arnold Schwarzenegger movie or like, you know, the edifying like art house movie that I've been that's been on my list for like a year. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm just going to watch the action movie. And then yeah. afterwards, I'm kind of like, well, that was, I don't even remember what happened because it was so banal yeah. and stupid that I didn't even need to do that. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, more recently, I've been, I've been really cutting down on, on media. Um, and honestly, that's freed up a lot of time to read. Um, and, uh, and also, yeah, go for walks and, and uh and look at art so yeah no i think that's so great and and what i'm hearing is that we have to require ourselves to experience it right we have to we have to put ourselves in those situations that we can experience beauty on all level of the senses not just uh visually but you mentioned you know through uh listening and uh and and you know and even even feeling to a degree you know going on walks and things like that i think that's so important and so um, this this idea of the way of beauty, right? The via pulchritudinis that we're hearing about in the church as a primary tool of evangelization um, today, which is what Stabat Mater is, is attempting to do. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that for my last question. Let, let our listeners know where it is they can find out more about you uh, and what you are doing with uh, your organization and um, how they can stay connected and then yeah how that's going to help them better appreciate beauty so that they themselves can give what they've gained and and utilize this transcendental to evangelize the culture i'd love to hear you speak on that yeah yeah thanks so much um so the i think another aspect of that you know of um of you know, starting to incorporate, you know, beauty into your life. Part of that is, is just getting good artwork in your house, you know, and um, getting images of the, the saints and Mary and Jesus. Um, this disposes us to, to having a constant conversation with, with our Lord and Mary. Um, and the, uh, and then the other thing that you can do is connect with an artist. I mean, 
artists speak in a language that we we kind of feel like we we can relate to um but we couldn't do ourselves and so mm. um and and so allow allow that artist to be your voice to explore things that you you could never put into an image or or music or something like that and that's really what we're trying to offer people at the Staba Mater Foundation so i've i all of the work that i've done for the past 5 years um what would not be possible without the Staba Mater Foundation which has um given me uh, basically a fellowship and um at the foundation we believe that new great art can be made is being made and it has the power to transform our culture into one of life and beauty and it also believes in the visionaries who are the artists making that art today and we do that in three primary ways we uh we donate heavily or subsidize commission artwork for catholic churches and catholic institutions so that we can make beautiful original sacred art available uh, to communities who may not have been able to afford it. That's what we've done here in Tyler, Texas, where I'm at. Uh, the foundation we've have I've worked in a bunch of different churches here now because uh, because of the foundation. The the diocese wasn't gonna. They didn't. It's not on their mind to commission an artist for you know another painting. So the yeah. the foundation they were eager to get you know, to get the artwork, but, but, um, but it wasn't the first thing on their mind. Um, we also provide free or inexpensive, high quality classical art workshops, summer camps, and after school programs. Um, so I have a, I have a full-time apprentice right now who's going to, who's going through a very similar training that I'm going through. Um, and, you know, we'd love to get more people who are interested in the arts coming on board. I, I'd love to train people. Um, some more people are passionate about the arts. And finally, we we give educational talks, events, um, and to help better form the faithful, our clergy, and the general public about sacred art tradition. Finally, what 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 they've offered me and what I am is the Staba Mater Art Fellow. And what that does is it basically operates like patronage, like the art patrons of old which sure. is so cool. Like, um, and it basically gave me a stable income to, so that I can, I could spend the time actually doing, taking the time to do the artwork that I, how long, you know, to do that. It takes a long time to do a painting. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, a good one. You yeah. know, and that's, and they've allowed me to, to have a stable income to, to do that. And so, um, we, you know, if we get more donors, then we can we can bring on another artist. We can patronize another artist who's, you know, may not make it, um, and help them out. So we're uh, we don't think anyone else is patronizing the arts in this way, and I, so I think it's so unique and desperately needed. And I'm saying that from a very personal perspective. Like I was at the point where I might have given up um, if I didn't have that. So. We're a non-for-profit. Um, we're headquartered on this beautiful farm, Stafford's, Stafford's Meadow Farm in the Piney Woods of East Texas. And anyone is welcome to come out and visit if they'd like. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Robert, I really appreciate that. We're going to put all that in the show notes and we're going to have to have you back on. There's a lot more 
questions on beauty and evangelizing through beauty that we didn't get to in this episode. So yeah. I really appreciate you you joining us today and, and thanks for giving of yourself and thanks for all your beautiful artwork. We'll be sure to put a lot of those links in the show notes. Thanks so much. Wonderful. Well, as we like to end each of our episodes, be a man, be a saint.